Hello, this is Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research at J.P. Morgan Chase, and welcome to J.P. Morgan Chase TV. Um, and you are listening to our Global Cross-Asset Strategy today, where we look at the key trends impacting global financial markets and macro markets. Well, what a week it's been in markets. The chain of events that led to the demise of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the current pressure on Credit Suisse Group highlights the delayed effects of monetary policy, which is resulting in stress and tightening of financial conditions. As a preliminary estimate, our U.S. economists think that the headwinds to credit growth could subtract half a percentage point to 1% off of GDP in the coming quarters. And the central banks aren't done in our view, with the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of England all set to hike through mid-year. Well, what does this all mean for the consumer? Market conditions are moving fast, but one of the key trends of the first quarter was the strength of consumer spending, which held up better than expected. Our U.S. and European Middle East and Africa equity retail teams just released their biannual consumer survey this month. So the U.S. consumer survey reflects the trends of 1,000 U.S. consumers, while the European consumer survey reflects the trends of 5,000 consumers. These surveys give a pulse check on the consumer sentiment and spending plans and the risks that lie ahead. So I'm so pleased to be joined today by Dan Silver, who's a senior economist on our U.S. economics research team, who's going to start big picture and talk about consumer confidence. Um, and we have seen that consumer confidence has actually been disappointing in March, um, while the pandemic's cushion is coming down and looking a lot less cushy. We will then hear from Matt Boss, our number one institutional ranked U.S. equity retail analyst, who has looked at the consumer trends across the U.S., surveying 1,000 consumers on their spending plans. And then we will turn to Georgina Johanan, our top-ranked institutional investor, head of European General Retail, who just published the third edition of the Cost of Living Survey, which surveys 5,000 consumers in the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Spain about their spending plans. So let me start first with Dan Silver from our U.S. economics team. Well, Dan, we have seen that consumer spending remains strong. It jumped more than expected in the January data, but the consumer confidence has actually disappointed in February, even before all of this market turmoil started. So with the recent bank stress, the tightening of financial conditions, we're looking to an end of the first quarter that's a lot different compared to the start of the year. How much of this excess household savings remains? And um, when do you think this might be depleted? How do you factor in the tighter financial conditions into your U.S. forecast when you look at spending plans? Thanks, Joyce. Uh, it certainly does look like things have changed a lot since the start of the quarter. Uh, January was a very strong month for consumer spending growth. Uh, we saw a jump in retail sales and also consumer spending more broadly had a very strong gain. Uh, the January data probably were boosted by unseasonably mild weather and also a lift to income from the cost limiting adjustments to Social Security payments, and we expected softer figures reported going forward after that month. Now, we're starting to piece together the February data, and things look mixed, but overall more modest. Uh, we did see auto sales fall that month following a big jump in January, and we've also seen consumer or retail sales uh, more broadly pull back following a big January gain. Now, stepping back and looking more broadly, we've been anticipating consumer spending to soften over time as the economy loses momentum. For one, the Fed has been tightening policy, and we think tighter financial conditions will keep weighing on the economy over time. 
We've also seen the excess saving cushion that was built up early on in the pandemic continue to get drawn down. And this cushion should be used up by the end of this year. Uh, we think that at its peak, the excess saving cushion was around $2.3 trillion. But as of January, we calculate, it, calculate that it was down to about $1.2 trillion. Uh, we also think we'll get some weakness in the labor market over time, which should be a drag on consumer spending. Now, on top of all this, we've seen recent stresses in the banking system. It's really early to track any fallout here. Uh, one of the few data points we have that might show some impact of the recent stresses is the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. And this report actually indicated there was no big change in responses since the recent flare up in the banking sector. Uh, we'll need to keep watching to see how this all plays out over time. Uh, so far, you know, I think the news is consistent with the idea that we have an economy that's weakening, but it's not weakening in a particularly severe way right now. And I don't think this view has been challenged uh, in a big way, but again, we need to keep following this news over time. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for those insights. Dan, let me just ask you a follow-up question. How does the current level of personal income and personal savings rate compare to pre-pandemic levels? How do you look at this compared to other periods of stress? I think we can break the pandemic into two main segments with respect to income and saving. In the first year and a half or so following the start of the pandemic, spending was held down by concerns about COVID and incomes were supported significantly uh, by a variety of stimulus programs. Uh, this resulted in incomes and saving that were significantly above pre-pandemic trends and households built up that excess saving cushion that we just talked about. Now, if you think about the more recent year and a half or so, people started going out and spending more and the income support from stimulus programs dropped off. Consumers have also had to deal with strong inflation. So while nominal disposable incomes have continued to rise recently, uh, real disposable incomes, which are adjusted for price changes, dropped uh, over the year through December before picking up again a little bit in, in January. Uh, so over this most recent period, uh, savings have been below the pre-pandemic trend and we've seen consumers eat into that saving cushion that had been fueling their consumer spending or to help actually fuel their consumer spending. Uh, this probably is going to continue over time until that cushion is all used up. Back to you, Joyce. Thank you, Dan, so much for laying um, the macro backdrop as we turn now to look at the specific consumer plans. So Matt, let me turn to you and let's talk about the U.S. consumer. You know that U.S. consumers are feeling more worried in contrast to European consumers who are actually less worried than they were six months ago. So how are the current consumer concerns shifting consumer spending preferences? And can you tell us which segments of the population are really most impacted? Is it the low income quartile, middle income, or high income? Thanks for having me, Joyce. So a key overarching takeaway, I would say from our March 2023 consumer survey here in the US, 50% of US respondents expect to see their monthly cost of living and that for us is defined as essential spending in food, gas, and transportation. They now expect that to rise by more than $100 in the coming months relative to last year. This actually represents an 11-point increase in respondents relative to the September survey or just six months ago. And more specifically, if I drill down, the number one survey response today actually now expects more than a $200 increase in their monthly cost of living. And that's relative to the number one response in September, which only cited a 50 to $100 monthly cost of living increase. So that's a more than twofold increase in the cost of living that's expected here in the US. 
Uh, one offset, I would say, is more than 50% of U.S. respondents did cite an increase in their salary in recent months, uh, which was actually up 14 points in the survey relative to only 36% citing that back in September. But only 6% of overall respondents believe that their salary today is more than offsetting this increased cost of living. So consistent with September, there is absolutely more of a fear factor from the US consumer. One change that I did think that was uh, interesting, and it is higher than just six months ago, 27% of consumers surveyed uh, today have actually already begun to borrow more than usual. And what was cited was credit card and short-term bank loans, and that's to support this higher standard of living this year. That's up four, 400 basis points relative to six months ago in September. So if I put this together here in the US, 73% of survey respondents do expect to reduce spending on non-essential items by at least 6% in the coming months relative to last year. That number overall is higher by 300 basis points or 3% relative to six months ago. In my opinion, that drives an increasingly selective consumer here in the US. And I think what's interesting is by income cohort, one of the big, big takeaways in our opinion, the largest rebudget that we anticipate from this survey in terms of the responses is at the middle income demographic. And if you take this uh, for the numbers, the middle income cohort, 79%, of responses from middle income, which is 13 points higher than the low income responses, uh, are citing at least a 6% pullback in spending. Uh, that's 400 basis points higher for that middle income consumer than just six months ago. Now, what's interesting is at the low end, the low income cohort uh, that expects to reduce spending in the coming months is completely unchanged relative to six months ago. And the high income, the higher income respondents are actually less worried about their personal circumstances relative to six months ago. Uh, that response rate was 400 basis points below where we stood in September for the higher income consumer. So key takeaway here, here in my opinion, the low income cohort, which we believe is tied to solid employment and continued rising rises in wages we believe that income cohort at the low end is stable the higher income consumer relative to september actually feels okay if not slightly less worried it's the middle income demographic that in our opinion and from the survey here in the u.s continues to worsen Thank you so much, Matt. So it's really middle income that you know we have a lot of the focus on right now. But I want to just go back to a point that you made in the survey that you talked about the disconnect between sentiment and reality. So from looking at the Chase credit card data, we're seeing that spending is increasing. What does the survey suggest about the willingness of U.S. consumers to borrow more to sustain their standard of living? How high is this willingness? Are the wage increases that we're seeing offsetting the increased cost of living? And which sectors do you think are most vulnerable? Which ones are most defensive given the current sentiment? If we look at the macro picture, Joyce, it's a story of cross currents. And on the margin, I think we're continuing to see incremental softening 
early in 2023. So take a step back and, and to directly answer your question using the Chase credit card data, total consumer spending has held roughly steady in February relative to January to date, seven to 8% consumer spending total CAGR. But what we've seen more recently exiting uh, February and here into March is a moderation. You've seen over 100 basis points in moderation of spend, uh, and in particular, the bucket in our data, which captures more of the discretionary spending, uh, apparel, footwear, accessories, that has actually decelerated more than 200 basis points in February. And we have seen that further deceleration in the last few weeks here in early March by another 40 basis points. I think what you're seeing and where we put some additional perspective around this is two things from a borrowing perspective, and it ties back to the survey. If you look at total credit card balances, you've now reached 986 billion in the fourth quarter. That's actually the highest total since the New York Fed began tracking in 1999. And we're hearing from corporates that credit card as a percent of tender is moving up relative to the past three years. On the wage increases, wage growth, as I said, that continues to remain in the, in the mid-single digits. And I do think it's helping to soften the blow of this increase in cost of, uh, of living. But I don't know that it's keeping up as you think about the inflationary dynamic, which does appear to continue to be sticky. Uh, so as we are hearing of some softening in some of the inflationary data, on the food side, which is one of the largest, uh, which is one of the largest cross currents to the consumer, uh, that appears to be one that is increasingly sticky on the headwind front. So for us, as we kind of, as we map this out uh, and we think about by sector, value and convenience, in my opinion, is most paramount. So for us, that would be where the low income consumer is your core and where value becomes more important to the middle income consumer. So in our coverage universe, that would be off-price retailers, TJ Maxx, Ross Stores, and Burlington, as well as your dollar stores and discounters. So thinking more about the larger box discounters as well as the dollar stores. That to me is where implications of the survey in that you have a stable low income backdrop tied to employment and wages, and at the same time, for the middle income consumer, value becomes more important. And we are hearing of increased trade down. I think it started in the back half of 2022 and it is accelerating into 2023. And tied into that, you have the government assistance, which starting on March 1 for the average uh, SNAP and EBT, it's $100 less nationwide. And in some states, it's close to $200 per individual. So I think for this low to middle income consumer, value and selection and convenience is going to be paramount. Where we're more concerned is that middle income cohort, that aspirational customer, whereas the luxury and the high net worth individual, that appears to be stable as well. So Put this all together, we're viewing our coverage universe as a barbell. I think the high end, that high net worth individual is, sol is on solid footing. I think that low income consumer is stable. It's the middle and the aspirational and companies where that is your core, 
where as we move through the year, we are increasingly cautious. Thanks for having me, Joyce. Uh, feel free anyone to follow up. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for walking us through the U.S. consumer. I'd like to now turn the focus on Europe and turn to Georgina Johanna. So, George, in this survey, where you uh, really look at 5,000 consumers across a number of different countries, what we're seeing is that spending held up much better than expected last year when there were really fears of an eminent recession. Um, and even though we saw very well-documented budget pressure, from higher household costs, um, we still saw that um, you know, expectations um, you know, were a lot um, better than expected compared to six months ago. So compared to last fall, um, you, European consumers seem a lot less worried about their personal circumstances, even though their pandemic savings have come down and mortgages and rents have gone up. So what's driven this improvement in sentiment as inflation is persistently high? Is it household income? Is it wage expectations? And how are spending plans changing as a result? What are the consumer spending priorities? Hi, and thank you, Joyce, for having me. Um, indeed, spending held up better than I, and I think most others in the market, anticipated through 2022. Clothing is a good example of this. Um, spending key European clothing markets was up around mid single digit percentage versus pre-crisis levels in 2022. As you say, in terms of cadence on sentiment, consumers have become less worried about their personal circumstances and spending plans have become less conservative since September. I don't think it's conclusive as to why we're seeing this trend. It's actually not the case that consumers are unrealistic in terms of the increases in their household bills that are still to come or the magnitude of wage increases. In fact, salary expectations are, are really quite prudent. Only a quarter of respondents expect salary increases in the coming months that will offset cost of living pressures. Instead, I think as much as it's important to look at the cadence of the results, it's also useful to look at the results on a standalone basis. And when we do that, even though consumers are more upbeat than they were in September, the reality is that three quarters of them do still expect their discretionary spending to fall by at least 6% in the coming months. And furthermore, almost half of European consumers expect spending to fall by a double digit percentage. Then we need to add into that the pressures that are building. So as you mentioned, almost 20% of consumers have now used up pandemic savings. 30% of European consumers said that they'll soon be facing higher rents or higher mortgage payments. And of these, over 20% said that this will mean they do need to make cutbacks elsewhere in order to pay those bills. So whilst there has been some improvement in sentiment, I think European consumers are still expecting many challenges in the coming months. In terms of how spending plans are changing, these results have been quite interesting. For those customers who need to make cutbacks to pay higher rents or higher mortgages, the most cited area of cutbacks in Europe was holidays, was socialising and eating out. Somewhat surprisingly, clothing actually followed quite closely and came in as being more at risk for cutbacks than home improvement, for example. However, looking at spending priorities more broadly across all of the consumers surveyed, rather than only those who need to make cutbacks to pay higher mortgages and higher rents, it was a different story. In fact, holidays were shown to be a priority as were days out and meals out. 
And indeed, it seems that the pent up demand for pandemic restricted experience based categories really persisted. In contrast, pandemic winning categories such as active wear and sports clothing continue to be amongst the weakest. Well, thank you so much, George. That's a lot to take in as we look across um, many different countries in Europe. So staying with the country-specific level, which countries have you seen the most um, shift that are largest in sentiment? Where are you most concerned? And which sectors stand to benefit the most? And how has this evolved over the last year? The biggest improvements in sentiment were actually seen in the UK and in Germany. And indeed, German consumers were the least conservative. Saying that, it's been quite interesting because as much as the UK saw an improvement in sentiment, it was also the only country where the propensity to borrow money to support living standards actually went backwards. And perhaps this raises questions on propensity to use pandemic savings from here, even for those consumers where those savings remain elevated. In terms of subsectors and subcategories that might perform well or, or less well this year, um, as mentioned previously, those categories that look set to benefit are those that suffered the most during the crisis. So holidays and other experiences. And that trend and shape of demand is unchanged versus our last survey from back in September. Within retail specifically, though, I think it's worth a word both on clothing and on DIY and home improvement. Our survey suggested that the elevated clothing spend during 2022 was driven by about 40% of consumers. Now of those, over a third said that they spent in an elevated way due to higher prices, i.e. clothing price inflation. And just under two thirds of consumers attributed their higher clothing spend to catch up shopping as a result of post pandemic need, some of which is, is ongoing. If we add together the portion of consumers who said the catch-up spend is ongoing and those inelastic consumers who put their higher spend down to inflation, that's around a quarter of total consumers who look like they're at least planning to continue to spend on clothing in an elevated way this year in Europe. But of course, this is somewhat at odds with those consumers who are seeing a direct impact from higher rents and mortgage payments, citing clothing as a key category for planned cutbacks. So on balance, we think the clothing outlook could be more at risk than the recent strength in clothing implies. And we think the category could soften a little bit, at least from here. Coming to look at DIY, overall, we think the outlook is still soft. A negative net balance of minus 23% of consumers said that they plan to spend less this year on DIY. It varied quite a bit by market, been much worse in the UK at minus 33% than in France at minus 3%. Um, and perhaps this is due to differences in how mortgages are structured in both markets. But overall, we expect a negative DIY demand outlook in Europe. I'll leave it there. Thanks very much for having me. Well, thank you so much, Matt and Georgina, for those comments and for walking us through your very comprehensive survey results. We see an outlook that remains very challenging for the U.S. and European consumers as we look at the prospects for a Fed-induced recession in the U.S. And we see that savings um, in Europe, that 20% of the pandemic savings have been used and 30% of households are really dealing with the pressures from rising rents and mortgage payments. And those cost of living adjustments you know, continue to move up as we see tighter financial conditions playing out. 
So come back to, to us in six months' time when we will talk about the next survey and stay tuned for more episodes of JP Morgan TV, where we explore the key macro and market trends that are impacting financial markets and the global economy. Thank you all so much for joining us today.